0: If Americans can broadly agree on nothing else, we should be able to agree that much of the bitterness and political tribalism that drives our public discussions is unhealthy for our country. Our objective, the Cato Institute and the Brookings Institution, is to establish a gold standard for the public discussion of policy issues. Welcome to SPHERE. The big question here uh, for today is what is the proper role of government in college affordability? But before we get into the details of that, uh, I want to talk about what college not being attainable for many people uh, actually means. So uh, to you, Michael, we'll we'll start with you. What are some of the follow-on effects that we see from young people not being able to afford to go to college to receive that kind of education?
1: College affordability is a, a a very significant barrier for entry into um, into college and for higher education. Um, this is, of course, a, a much more of a constraint for low income and uh, students or uh, students from students of color. And so, uh, now um, accessing college is less of a barrier, um, you know, based on because of. Uh, um, access to federal aid, um, access to uh, institutional supports that are often um, need-based. Uh, many students do have access to college, though uh, being able to actually persist and succeed in college is is very different. So we, we do see pretty stark differences in college completion by race or by um, different classes, uh, by different socioeconomic classes.
0: Okay. And to you, Neil, uh, related to that question... In terms of the economic impact of young people being able to go to college, do we have a clear idea of what that is?
2: Yeah, well, I I mean, I think the first thing we need to understand is I don't know that we have a big problem with people— not able afford not able to afford to go to college so we certainly make lots of money available so that people can afford to pay the price of college i do uh, like michael mentioned it's much more of a completion issue and a perception issue so many people perceive that they can't pay for college, that it's unattainable, in part because a lot of our media stories start with sort of worst-case scenario anecdotes of people with $80,000 in debt or $100,000 in debt. Usually, those are people who went to grad school. But especially if you're lower income, you see sticker prices of colleges and you say, I can't afford that. And then the other problem is certainly one of completion, uh, where— People go and they spend money on college, but they, in some cases, aren't prepared or able to complete that program. That's actually in many cases, and they end up with debt. So it wasn't an inability to access college; it was more one to complete it.
0: Okay, that's fair. Is that do you uh, take? Is that a well taken point? The idea that uh, we. In fact, the government already provides uh, a, a great number of programs to get people into college, and that the the bigger problem is completion. I,
1: I would agree with that. I, I would say that uh, affordability is still a residual issue, but I would I would agree with uh, Neil's overall sentiment, which is uh, college success and completion is uh, a, by far a larger barrier at this point than actually getting access to uh, enrollment itself.
2: Yeah, and and I agree that affordability is a problem. I mean, the sticker price, and even what people pay is, is very high. I just wanted to make clear that it's not that people typically don't have access to the money so they can pay those prices, but it is certainly true that those prices are high, and the height of those prices really caused a lot of people to think, well, maybe I can't afford this, even though it would be possible for them to pay.
0: What was or what were the nominal problems that have led us to this point where the the government, particularly the federal government, extends so much credit to uh, young people to access college?
2: Yeah, my guess is when the federal government started to get involved in funding higher education, and in particular, we're talking about students now. So most of the federal money in higher ed, unlike K through 12, is directed at the students in sort of a voucher. Of course, there's lots of different formulations of that, but... It was to have the students be able to choose colleges, and it sort of, it evolved. It wasn't, I don't think, that somebody sat down and said, this is what the federal role would look like. So, you can probably actually draw the beginning of what we have now to the GI Bill, which was lots of people coming back from World War II, which it wasn't, the GI Bill wasn't actually mainly about education. It was mainly, we don't want all these people returning from the war, flooding the labor market. So we will enable them to go to college, which is a good thing. You know, people thought college would make you upwardly mobile, although most people had no college education in the 40s. There was only a very small percentage. I think it was around 7% or less of Americans had a college degree. But with the GI Bill, they said, look, we're going to. We're going to kind of reward you and keep you out of the labor market by sending you to college. So you have more people going to college. You then have the Korean War GI Bill. Um, And then actually, (laughs) interestingly, you also have then the war in Vietnam. There's more movement to college in part to avoid the draft or at least put off the draft as long as you can, which means you, you sort of get this whole... Um, sort of snowballing effect of more people go to college and increasingly the degree is important and the federal government keeps its role of, we will fund students so that they can go to school. But this also gets fed into prices. And a lot of this was with grants, but then more and more they moved to loans as grants became kind of difficult to keep putting out. The federal government to some extent says they make a profit. That's questionable depending on the accounting. But with loans, they say they make a profit. And so more and more, we've seen this movement to loans, whatever the form is, but loans in particular, I think, are bad. They've led this price increase, but it's because, it you know, you have more people to go to college. You need to give people more money so more people can go to college.
1: Uh, I, I will just uh, pile on to Neil's response. Um, I, I agree. It's... Uh, uh, the federal government offering uh, subsidies to students to pay for college is—it doesn't appear to really be, you know, to be following some overarching model, but has just evolved over time as the needs have arisen. Um, particularly since the uh, the mid to late '80s, we've seen a real escalation of of credit availability uh, for for students um, as they've gone to college, and we've also seen uh, rises in um, Increases in tuition costs uh, as well. now, um, there's Neil brings up a a great point, which is uh, you know, the credit availability is is part of what is driving these increases in college. There's also, on the other hand, um there has been a slowing decline in um, state subsidies for institutions of higher education. Um, and uh, many of these declines uh, did start back in the Uh, 90s or so, and and have continued uh, through 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 today, and they they were accelerated with the Great Depression, and so certainly some of the um, disinvestment from those uh, from those institutions in the same time that we're also seeing that we're also pushing a lot of kids into those institutions um, have uh, you know it's really created a a funding crisis, and so many many of these institutions are in a in a bit
2: of a funding pinch. Yeah. Two things I should say. So when I gave this evolution, I made it to sound like what I think is often the case, which is it, the more you people who people send to college, the more people need to go because you've got to have a degree to be competitive in the labor force. But certainly, there are a lot of people who think the more people go to college, the more useful education there is in the country. And that's important to note. Now, I think that that there isn't nearly as much learning going on as people think, but that is Clearly a driver, lots of people thought the more people we have to go to college, the better it is for the labor force and and you know good intentions. Uh, I would also say a little bit about the state funding for institutions it act it tends to go kind of like a roller coaster, so in bad economic times, you have this problem where states have less money to spend, but more people want to go to college to retool um, and so you have uh big decreases in the amount of subsidy that comes directly per student to a college university, a public college university. That switches when economic times are better. You have fewer people going to college, more money going to those colleges. And over time, there actually isn't that big a trend of, even on a per-pupil basis, decreases and State and local money that go to higher ed. So certainly that's part of it, especially in short term. But in the long term, it's not as big, I don't think, as some people think it is.
0: Let's clear the decks. Let's just say, for example, you're an 18 year old kid, and I'm putting myself clearly as the person in this scenario. Uh, you have been accepted to college. Uh, what is the proper role of government at that point? Is it to extend credit? is it to financially support the university uh, so that uh, the whatever college you end up consuming is is of of a high quality is it nothing at all so to you michael
1: um let's talk about uh what the value is of of even going to college uh you you stated that you've been accepted to college but uh, there's a a question is whether you should even go and if that's worth it um and so to address that i would say um the evidence bears it out that uh, overwhelmingly, uh, people who pers- who enroll in and um, gain a a, a post secondary credential are by and large uh, better off in the labor market because of it. And so, um, and that that uh, so they're more employable. They get higher wages. Um, there's all, all sorts of uh, social benefits too. We can say things like um, uh, higher. Uh, Participation, voter rates, voter rates, and participation, in democracy processes, those kinds of things. Uh, also, lower, uh, lower reliance on welfare, lower, um, uh, lower incidents with uh, with law enforcement, those kinds of things. So, so we have a number of positive outcomes associated with getting a higher education, and um, and these. And many of these studies um, are not just correlational studies, but these are actually causal studies. So we have strong evidence that that getting that education is part of what helps you to become uh, better off in those many ways. Now, to your question of whether what is the government's role in in provide in helping to, that student navigate that process, um, I, I think that's a it's a really good question. Um, now, we have, the government currently uh, provides uh, free free education for students up through twelfth grade. Um, it's not entirely clear to me why why there needs to be necessarily a, a an arbitrary cutoff at twelfth grade versus going into pursuing higher education. Um, and so, um, and, and so I feel like whatever justification there is for. Supporting up until twelfth grade is also seems to me a reasonable um explanation to uh to continue to support it um in general that 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 uh rationale lays in um we want an educated populace to um to be part of our democracy right um, uh, the de- the strength of the democracy is in the people itself and education is an investment in people and so i i would uh i, I feel like that is probably the largest uh, impetus for investing in education.
0: Uh, to you, Neil, uh, based on what Michael's just told us, college grads are better off in the labor market. There are social benefits to individuals with college degrees, uh, less reliance on uh, entitlement or in social welfare programs, fewer interactions with police. Uh, and then there is the sort of the larger uh, benefit to the public of an educated uh, populace. Those benefits seem overwhelmingly to accrue to the individual who's being educated.
2: Yeah, well, so some of that's to the individual Certainly, if you spend less time in the criminal justice system, the you know, society benefits as well because they're not housing you in a prison and things like that. Uh, but I do think that... M- most of the benefits certainly accrues to the individual. So this is a very rough rule of thumb. It depends how you calculate it. But if you just look at the lifetime earnings of the average person who ends their education with a high school diploma versus the average earnings of somebody who ends their ca- education with a bachelor's degree, that person with the bachelor's degree is gonna earn one million more or 1.1 million more dollars over the lifetime than the person. Who doesn't get it. So from a personal standpoint, there's, a, setting aside where we are right now in the edu- higher ed system, but looking just at that, you'd say there's really no reason that the government should be involved in funding this because that person is going to make a big profit on average. And then somebody who would lend the money would also stand to make a big profit by doing that. So there's not clearly a government need to be involved, but we have to understand we're in a system right now where government is very heavily involved, where the price is almost certainly artificially inflated because of so much aid that comes from the government. So we can't take the system we are now and just right away, I think, go to the ideal. So uh, to you, Michael, is there
0: um, a problem with the decision-making of an individual individual bereft of any government assistance to decide whether or not to go to college do you view college as being more or less affordable all things considered if there essentially were no government involvement
1: even if there were no government involvement the the evidence largely points to uh, getting a higher education is worth it um In the in the large variety of circumstances, of course, that's going to vary depending on labor market conditions. It's going to depend on the actual credential or degree that you're
0: pursuing. But it's a relatively safe bet that Uh, that going achieving higher education, completing uh, higher education is going to deliver dividends over the long haul.
1: Yes, that's right. So uh, and on a personal level, you know, on speaking as an individual level.
2: Yeah. Well, I was just going to say in your scenario, which I don't remember entirely, you've been, you I think it was pretty simple too. So I should <laughs> remember it, but somebody has been accepted to an institution of higher education. It does matter a lot what that institution is um, and what you're going to study. So again, this is sort of Thirty-five thousand foot level, it makes sense for an individual who's been accepted to go to college. Um, but there are many colleges and many things you could study that are not going to pay off the way the averages.
0: To the extent that the government has decided to be involved, and we'll, we're sort of parsing out how valuable that involvement actually is. Uh, to Neil's point here, it depends what what you study, how remunerative your college education is going to be or um, what school you go to. So should the government simply be involved in STEM, for example, you know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, or is that something that ought to be uh, left off the table when it comes to uh, promoting college affordability?
1: That's a great question. And I'm going to uh, address both of these issues um, in in turn. So let me first talk about the STEM focus, and then I'll talk about an institutional focus. So first on STEM, um, there have been some states, from my understanding, that have begun to experiment with providing more uh, generous subsidies or charging lower tuition for st- majors who are going into um, to into STEM majors, and. While there are uh, pros and cons for those types of policies, um I feel like there's uh, we certainly know that those policies pay off a lot better in the long run. they um they pay better for the the students themselves. There's far more far higher employment rates. Um, it's not quite as clear whether uh, whether there is a clear social benefit. Uh, differentially across these different disciplines. And, and many have argued that, um, you know, if we focus too much on STEM, then we are doing so at the detriment of, um, of humanities, of writing, of critical thinking, of, um, you know, some beautiful things that we don't want to leave behind, uh, with a, with a focus on STEM. So I, I will say that that's something people have talked about. It is, it has gotten, um, some traction, but I, I would say not a, a ton. But now let me go to the institutional uh, question. And I feel like that is a much a much larger point of leverage that the federal government has really locked in on now, particularly uh, looking at for-profit uh, institutions of higher education. Um, so there is a lot of evidence that uh, for-profit uh, institutions are are in a very different space than your typical uh, public uh, colleges um, and also separate from your nonprofit uh, private colleges. And so, um, so let me just name a few of those uh, discrete differences. Uh, number one, um, the students' who actually go to these for-profit colleges, they actually appear to be the most disadvantaged of all of students across all sectors. So they are much more likely to um, be adult learners um, who have other family obligations. They're much more likely to be, to have uh, low income, uh, low household incomes, uh, much more likely to be individuals of color, um, much more likely to have had very little uh, or, or you know, not a lot of great success in education previously. So um, so they they are generally a very at risk student population um but yet at the same time uh for profit institutions charge um tuition rates that are reasonably comparable to uh private co- so private nonprofit universities without however um for profit universities don't offer the same level of of uh of support or tuition reimbursement um you know uh, uh, in scholarships or those kinds of uh, supports to help um, students go through it. So what what this result, the net result of this, is that students uh, who students from for-profit colleges um, they leave with a disproportionately high level of student debt. Um, they and also, the outcomes associated with with them once they get on the labor market are not nearly as as good as going to a public or going to a private nonprofit. And so, they're much less likely to be employed. The wage bump that they get from getting their degree is, um, in many cases, uh, considerably smaller, and and sometimes in in some areas even negligible in comparison to what they would get uh, had they not had they not even entered the the college or the Entered the for-profit university in the first place.
0: All right, to you, uh, Neil. The majors that are more remunerative uh, seem to be those that uh, young people ought to consider more. Which is to say, if if you're going to college not as a consumer of college, but you're going there to specifically to attain skills and really boost your income down the road uh, to the extent that states are experimenting with uh, providing more subsidy to those majors. That seems, it seems odd to me that a state would state would want to more heavily subsidize the majors for which students would earn higher incomes anyway.
2: Yeah. I mean, I read like so many things, there are so many variables involved that policy usually only considers a few. So um I think it was in Florida several years ago, Uh, there was a debate about, well, what do we want to subsidize? And um, what the governor said was, well, we don't want to subsidize anthropology majors because we just don't need anthropology majors. They're nice. We don't need them. What our economy needs is people who are STEM majors. And so if you're looking at it from the vantage point of the governor, you're saying, well, what does my state need? So we're going to subsidize People who, you know, engineers and mathematicians and things like that. From the individual standpoint, you're like, wait, if I major in that and complete the major, which is a big thing, many people don't complete those majors, but if I complete it, well, I sure didn't need that subsidy because I'm going to earn a whole lot more money. So a lot of this stuff doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the big picture, but you can understand why different actors sort of take a different position on it. But Ultimately, the STEM people make a lot more when they first get out of college, but people who are liberal arts majors actually tend to catch up 10 or 15 years later.
0: Now, uh, another thing that Michael said in terms of drawing a distinction between for-profit versus uh, non-profit or state and uh, state universities or or public universities uh, is that for-profit universities seem to have, if I understand you correctly, Michael, worse outcomes for the students how much of that is driven by the student population and uh how much of that is driven by just the nature of the institution and what would be what do you view as the proper role uh, for government there should the should the government simply not focus any of its resources on uh, for-profit schools i mean Neil, I've known you for a long time. I suspect that your view is that the government shouldn't be involved in subsidizing education in any way, shape, or form. But is, is there is there something special about for-profit versus
2: nonprofit or public in your view? Um, so the, the first thing that what Michael said is important is that the for-profits serve a population that's very different from actually any other sector, even if you look at community colleges. The uh, average student at a for-profit school is more likely to be older, non-traditional educational background, working. And then the, something else you can't really adjust for it in the studies that we've seen is it's hard to adjust for motivation. And there's no random assignment of somebody to a for-profit school versus a uh, community college, so it's hard to control for those motivation things. So a lot of the reason that for-profits don't get as good um, – An outcome as other sectors is because they're working with kids or not kids anymore, students who are different. But there's also some evidence that actually, there's a lot of evidence in higher ed that there's a fair amount of just prestige or assumption that goes with either getting a degree or where you get it from. And there's not a whole lot of measurement of what can you actually do, what did you actually learn in college. It's more an employer sees, well, you got a degree from Harvard, or you got a four-year degree, and they assume a lot of things about that. And a problem for for for-profit schools is that... Sometimes those names are not recognizable or people, employers even think, there's something a little odd that you went to a for-profit school. And interestingly, there's been some research, I don't think it's been a lot, uh, but that found actually the outcomes for people who go to kind of mom and pop for-profit colleges, which probably we'd all be hard-pressed to think of a name of a mom and pop, but a school that had been in a community for a long time, those graduates seem to do actually pretty well relative to other for-profit students and, you know, equivalent people who went to, you know, a community college or something. But it's kind of the big change, you know, if you think of University of Phoenix and things like that, those seem to be the ones who do worse, as if it it could be that employers know that name and think, well, there's something a, a little off about that. So it's hard to really say what the value added of the school itself in terms of education is.
1: Uh, yes, um, I, I agree with uh, with Neil's point that um, that of course there's still a lot of variation within the for-profit college space, um, and we do see the largest uh, negative outcomes associated with the the larger chains, um, and also we we tend to see uh, many of those negative outcomes also coming through academic degrees rather than vocational degrees. Um, not, now that's not true across everything, but but that's sort of a general pattern we see. Um, one of the things I was uh, that I think is worth underlining here is that I would I would argue that this is a a reason for uh, stricter accountability um, for the eligibility to get federal aid at a for, at a for profit college is because of these uh, lower outcomes that are associated with them. That's a lot of the. Um, a lot of the interest that was motivating the college scorecard that was introduced, when was it? Maybe in 2014 or so. Um, and so I feel like there is uh, a recognition that uh, for-profit colleges are quite different and are serving a very different population. And uh, because that population does does display all these de- different characteristics and sort of are, are more of an at-risk population that we really do need to... Um, put some mechanisms in place to try to ensure some level of quality that the students um, themselves aren't in the position to really demand, if you will.
2: Yeah. And and I think that, I mean, this is sort of the root question about a lot of this for-profit regulation is, yes, for-profits work with, um, on average, a population that has the most obstacles of any of the other sectors, of all the sectors in higher ed. But there's been a sort of a focus on for-profit schools as uniquely bad and specially bad, where many of the proposals have been well, we're gonna we're gonna aim all our regulations at for-profit colleges. Well, we actually know there are lots of programs and lots of not-for-profit schools that also get horrible outcomes. And so the for-profit. Industry in higher ed, but lots of people, and I'll throw myself in there, who who sort of come to the defense to some extent of for-profit schools. Our concern is we're letting all those other schools off the hook. Uh, community colleges have very low graduation rates. Many pro- Harvard had a program, and it was like theater arts or something, which had a terrible. Uh, uh, debt-to-earnings ratio, um, and we let those go in a lot of these regulations. And so I think there's, the question is, do we do something – should regulation be special for for-profits or should it be the same across the board? And if that snags more for-profit schools, then maybe that's okay.
0: I want to ask one related question, and, and it, it's really to, to you, Michael. The fact that there are so many young people who have college degrees – who are now employed doing work that does not require a college degree. It's a large number of young people. Does that, should that give us pause when we're talking about the degree to which the government should be providing subsidies or extending credit to young people for college? Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure I follow the question. So That is, there is there are so many people who have college degrees that, as far as we can tell, are not delivering uh, benefits that... We hope accrue to young people with college degrees.
1: So, if, if I'm understanding the question correctly, um, it seems like you're hinting at a sheepskin effect. It is is really uh, what what the uh, the receipt of a college degree is doing? Is it's really just signaling that you're some type of person and. Um, in the absence of a competitive market that that requires a college degree, could those people really have had the same level of skill and ambition uh, without the college degree, but yet still be as productive in the workforce? I think that's kind of where you're going with that question. And um, there has been a lot of of research into this. Um, well, I, I wouldn't say it's entirely uh, definitive, but my understanding of of this of of this the research on this question is that. There's certainly no questions about it. uh, There is a sheepskin effect associated with getting with the, you know, higher levels of employment and the higher wages associated with getting a degree uh, for sure. Um, Now, but that's but the sheepskin effect um, is uh, certainly cannot explain all of it. And so there is there is still a a causal relationship um, that we do find. With diff- associated with different levels of education. So uh, for example, even, even if you get some college, but you don't get a degree, so uh, according to the sheepskin effect sort of hypothesis, if you will, um, then the people who uh, are just one course shy of getting their degree, for example, shouldn't actually get paid the benefits or get paid the wages of a of a college degree earner. And Um, and, you know, you're right, they're not. However, um, they're paid a lot more closer, a lot much more closely to a college degree holder than, you know, the the one who doesn't hold a degree at all and has not done any education at all. So getting some college is compensated somewhere around there. Um, Of course, you do have higher windfalls whenever you do get the degree itself.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a sheepskin effect. There's, I think there's definitely some limit to that. So the people who are, Sort of the STEM majors, uh, petroleum engineer for a long time, I think was the top earning major out of college. Clearly, they're learning something in college that it would be very hard to learn uh, not in college. Um, Somebody maybe who's an English major, and I was an English major, so this is uh, on me, it's not clear that my degree signifies that I learned a whole lot of things I could only learn in college that are hard skills that apply to a particular job. But there's also the problem of, and it's been a little while since I looked at the numbers, but about a third, I think it is, maybe a quarter, but about a third of people with a degree are in jobs that don't require that degree to do the job which suggests there's an oversupply of degrees. Although what we end up seeing is more and more jobs start to require a degree, more job advertisements, because that's one more thing an employer can ask for. Even if it doesn't have much bearing on whether you can do the job, it's one more w- way you can screen. So none of these are simple. I think there is, like Michael said, there is a sheepskin effect. It's not the certainly the whole explanation for why some people earn what they do. Um, but it, you know, it's also it's also an argument that a lot of work needs to be done with maybe K through twelve levels of other ways people can pursue the skills they need, maybe without going to college or something like that.
0: The college degree, to the extent employers are asking for them, even for work that does not require a college degree, we've long understood that uh, the college degree is a is a signaling uh, item. But to what extent is the demand for a college degree among employers a a blunt screening mechanism in other ways.
1: Well, to Neil's point, um, getting a college degree is not always required to do the work that um, that the job description at least may say it you know it, uh, say is needed for it. So, um, and whenever a degree is is sort of ostensibly required, at least uh, in order to apply for the job, um, without actually requiring those skills in the job itself, uh, what this does is this implicitly brings up a racialized barrier to entry. Um, And so I'm going to illustrate this a little bit more with uh, with some of the evidence that I know really well from because I I do a lot of my own personal research on public school teachers and the diversity of the public teacher workforce. Um, So just sort of broad brushstrokes, you need a bachelor's degree in order to become a teacher at at minimum. And um, and we know that uh, uh, bachelor's degree uh, attainment rates are very racially different. So, um, Asians—about uh, sixty percent of Asian adults have a bachelor's degree. Roughly around forty percent of uh, of white adults have a, a bachelor's degree. But if you look at um, student or adults from from Latino backgrounds, that's about fifteen percent or so. Uh, from black uh, from from black backgrounds, um, that's probably closer to about twenty percent. So there's a, a very large gap, and so requiring that a a worker has a bachelor's degree is going to impose a very large barrier, uh, and and very and you're going to see a very different workforce because of that uh, requirement. So among teachers, for example, um, teachers are eighty percent white uh, versus twenty percent uh, teachers of color, and um, and this is this is becoming a very problematic issue in uh, in the K twelve space because uh, students are now actually. Um, Minority majority. So we have slightly more than 50% of students are students of color in the in the United States
0: to the extent that the government is or is not involved in providing subsidies or extending credit to young people or institutions. Do you view that the uh, government involvement is a net benefit toward correcting that disparity or uh, making the problem worse
1: here in this instance of talking about teachers. the government is helping to support the teachers going through college, and they're also the, the government is uh, is uh, employing the teachers as well. So we're, they're they're kind of on both ends of that uh, of that bargaining table. They're both um,
0: the seller and the purchaser. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it, in general, um, uh, the the point is that having that barrier is uh, having that barrier in place that you need to have a bachelor's degree is going to racialize your workforce. Um, and, and so providing greater access to college affordability is seen as a very, uh, as, as sort of the easiest route to help kids help students overcome that barrier, right? So by, by creating, uh, greater access to, um, helping students get through, get, get to and through their degree, then, um, they will then, then this bar- this racialized barrier is no longer an issue. Now, um as we started off as we started this conversation at the top of it, um I, I mentioned that affordability is one issue but it's not the only issue and uh, success is uh um is does not require affordability, you know, this affordability solution alone. Um what I would argue is that uh, we still need other things to really help these students succeed. And and also, I would argue that, uh, at least in the public teacher workplace, um, we should do things to tweak uh, the skills needed to become a teacher and just sort of get clearer on what those are and when they're needed. Um, because I would argue by uh, lowering the entry point for becoming a teacher, we'd actually get a much more diverse teacher workforce.
0: To you, Neil, the government is broadly involved in extending credit to young people in subsidizing institutions, subsidizing students. What does that do to the price of a college degree?
2: Yeah, well, so there is some dispute about this. Um, I I have one of the people who is of the belief, and I think there's a lot of research that shows it, that student aid has enabled colleges to raise their prices at rates much higher and faster than they would be absent the aid. And clearly, we see that the uh percentage of people from the two upper income quartiles getting degrees since the 1960s has gone way up. From the lowest income quartile, it's barely budged at all. And so what we can say, at least broadly, is there's a lot of evidence that that, that all this help that the federal government's delivering has probably greatly inflated prices and that has probably deterred low-income people the most from going to college. Um, And if there and there is a correlation between race and income, that means that that's also deterred um, people based on race from going to college. So I think that it's pretty clear that well-intentioned programs have had really the opposite effect of what they want. And it's not just about race. I mean, really, the idea of government assistance is usually to help the people who don't have the funding themselves to go to college so that they can get a degree. And it seems that we're Hurting those people. And so there are things I think we could do now to begin to alleviate that. Over time, federal aid has evolved from being somewhat well targeted to lower income people, Pell Grants used to be targeted well to lower income people. But now loans increasingly are for middle-income people, upper-income people. We have something called Parent PLUS loans that you can have any income level and still qualify for a Parent PLUS loan. Grad PLUS loans, we have uh, 529 plans, Coverdell plans, lots of tax credits that mainly accrue to upper-income people. And I think that we could target a lot of those things and begin to remove those and at least get aid if we're going to have it better focused on the people it's supposed to be on rather than giving everybody whatever we can resulting in higher prices.
1: I agree with with Neil's point, um, which is that uh, uh, access to this greater credit and um, that has really helped to spur the rise in tuitions. And I think one of the um, unfortunate, unfortunate uh, uh, outcomes has been that uh, tuition's, at least the sticker price of tuitions, um, particularly at uh, at like private institutions uh, in particular, um, they they are not at all. They're becoming less and less reflective of what the actual uh, out of pocket costs that many of their students face. Um, and so it's just becoming more and more accepted that. Uh, you know you you have a sticker price, and you have to apply to the school in order to really understand what your price is going to be um, and but what that does is that is that by sort of disassociating the sticker price from the actual price that you need to pay, um, it really makes the uh, you know the shopping between schools and choosing between schools a lot more challenging for the the consumer. and so if the consumer is to operate. If part of one of the consumer's functions is to sort of select the the best school they can, and to um, you know to consider uh, consider costs as part of their you know their their decision matrix in trying to uh, decide where to pursue their education, then um, then if we remove the ability to really select on cost in a very uh, transparent way, then um, then I think it's uh, it becomes very hard to. To control the costs of the institutions themselves, and I, th- I think this is this has begun to really play out, particularly in this, this works to the advantage of of both you know the the private uh, nonprofits and for profits who who have sort of really used this uh, this sticker price versus uh, actual price to their you know
2: to their um, benefit. Yeah, I think we've also seen it in like. Flagship state schools, especially if you're aiming for rankings, there's a very strong tendency to say, well, we're going to game how we give out our own institutional aid, which of course is all ultimately goes to the same school. So they can look at aid you can bring from the government and say, well, now we're going to take our institutional aid. If government's giving aid even to lower income people, we won't give them institutional aid. We'll give that to higher income people with higher test scores. So that we can raise our SAT so we can rise in the rankings. And the really kind of scary part about this is if you want that federal aid and almost every college takes it and lots of people need it, every college gets your form, your FAFSA when you apply for that. And the college sees all of your income information so they can price discriminate really efficiently. And you, as the consumer, don't have that ability with the schools.
0: Just to broadly, you guys would agree then that uh, the government's large involvement in uh, allocating credit and uh, extending subsidies to young people has at the very least caused a lot of confusion or uh, obscured a lot of what otherwise might be fairly transparent pricing in higher education.
1: Um, I I don't know if it would otherwise be entirely transparent uh, (laughs) because uh, because getting a college education, it's, uh, you know, it takes a long time. Um, It's there's, uh, you know, because you have to do it over multiple periods of time. There's a different there's an unclear outcome associated with it. I don't know if I'm going to get that much of a different outcome by going to college A versus college B. I don't know if I'm going to get that much of a different outcome by going in this major versus Y major. Um and so so I think there's it is very um it's it's a really difficult decision process for a typical college student to make um but yes it is made even less uh even less transparent and more obscured because of because of the federa- access to federal aid um I, I certainly agree with that point now you know, one of the things that neil did say that i do want to push back on a little bit is neil was stating that uh um All of this credit hasn't necessarily uh, helped the students at the bottom. And I I would say that uh, I feel like there's a lot of evidence that does show that um, many students from lower, uh, from disadvantaged backgrounds, they are, they are able to access higher education in much higher levels now than they have been in decades past. And so I think, I think we are, it's very clear that they are much better off now. Um, However, uh, there is still an issue of sort of the the matching to different types of institutions that they go to. So as we you know, we mentioned that for profits are serving a, a very disadvantaged uh, population. And the argument there is that many of these students would actually be far better off by going into a, the public sector rather than the for profit sector um, oftentimes. Um, <clears throat> and also um, uh, also it, it, it Access is not the only thing, and so I think as we as we've talked about it several times now, um, affordability does help uh, help with access. But um, many of the most disadvantaged students need more than just access help. They also need uh, supports while they're in school itself to to help them get through college.
0: Let me throw out one last big question. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, subsidies and credit to to young people. The uh, student debt is at Uh, historic highs uh, in the United States, that appears to have caused a lot of young people and people into their 30s to delay things like homeownership, to delay things like becoming parents. And uh, some candidates for president, as we record this, the the numbers of presidential candidates are dwindling by the day. Um, But a lot of them have said, look, these these are real consequences of." Uh, a high level of student debt and so we need to worry about that is that putting the emphasis in the wrong place or uh, has government involvement in uh, allocating credit and subsidies to young people and institutions has that somehow driven a lot of what we see with people taking on a lot of debt to go to college
2: yeah well I mean if it's accurate as I think it is that the prices the very high prices sort of reflect the aid, they they kind of have the aid baked in there, then absolutely government policy has been a major, I think the primary driver of people taking on a lot of debt. On the flip side, I think we want to be a little careful about how bad we say the debt burden is because most people don't have trouble paying back their debt. It's actually the people with the smallest debt on average who have the most trouble paying off because they tend to be those people who are on the margin who don't complete a program uh, and haven't actually spent a whole lot, but they've gone in a program, taken on some debt, and not gotten the degree that enables them to earn more. So those are the people... In the biggest trouble, and even the question about, well, hasn't it caused people to delay buying houses and things like that? The Fed did some studies on that, and there is some effect of people with student lower uh, house purchasing, but it's not a whole lot. It's only I think about six percentage points or so out of you know it was a, it would have been at forty eight percent would have bought a house by I don't know thirty years old something like that, and now it's forty two percent. So that is not a huge effect, um, and we also need to understand when people talk about loan forgiveness, the federal government has already budgeted to use all the money they thought they were going to get from people paying back their loans to spend on other things. So if we forgive those loans, that's a massive hole in a government federal budget that's already full of massive holes that someone's going to have to pay for.
1: Um, well, I, I, I would agree that uh, that. Getting all this debt for our young millennials, for example, um that it does uh, it does uh, shape their life decisions, and perhaps it it is part of it, it may be a contributing factor to um it, uh, to for example, delaying uh marriage and family and uh, decisions um it also in purchasing a house and those kinds of things and i th- I think there is as Neil suggests, there is some evidence that that does support that that it's there. Um, now, um, so, so I do, I do feel like there is an issue that we do need to worry about. Um, but I, I would, um, I want to, uh, underline Neil's point, which is the, the debt crisis that, that is talked about and gets a lot of fanfare. I would say that it is much more localized than globalized. Um, I feel like the, um, that, uh, many of the uh, many of the responses to it on the democratic side um, have been um, have been focused on you know a large sweeping solution uh, for a problem that i I would argue is one that really needs much more of a scalpel type of approach um, and so uh, I, I agree with neil that the 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 students who are the ones who uh, don't complete college um, and who get a lot of debt but actually don't get many of the earning benefits out of it they are are often the ones that are at the most uh, at the greatest disadvantage if we were to just simply uh forgive everyone's loans um then what that means is that the the person the people who get the biggest benefit from it are you know your your lawyers and your doctors who are $150,000 in the hole right now but who are also going to be getting you know much greater um much greater incomes over the t- over time and are are actually able to pay off those loans um and so I would I would say that uh my personal preference is a, a is that we should be doing something about um, about helping uh, college affordability, about making it accessible. Um, I, I'm also in favor of uh, making some of these benefits, if, for loan forgiveness, uh, conditional on going into the public sector or doing something that's obviously uh, in the public's interest. Um, so you know i'm going to uh, go back to uh, being becoming a teacher because i feel like that's a, a very noble aim um and also uh, 7% of our of the workforce is uh, our, our teachers or at least 7% of the college educated workforce are teachers and so this is a a major part and we and we need teachers right um we need we need teachers to help uh, educate our kids as they come up and um i would argue that we should be doing more to uh to promote uh People to go into specific industries, and you sort of use this to our advantage rather than just providing a blanket, uh, a blanket benefit where everyone gets a you know gets their loan forgiven.
0: The task of Sphere is to establish a gold standard for the public discussion of policy issues. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Talk to you again next time.